Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I love preaching at Christmas time. Matter of fact, uh, between my wife and I, we start Christmas around July because she loves Christmas and decorating and and, uh, and I love to preach at Christmas. Uh, the Christmas story is such a phenomenal template for us to look at the kingdom and how God works. Because Christmas is really a picture of how the kingdom of God invaded planet Earth. It was God's answer to man's dilemma. And so if you drop the Christmas story over as a template, there's so much we can learn. Really, if you want to you preach on revival... Preach on the Christmas story because it's the story of how Jesus entered human history. And when we look at the players and all that's going on, it's really a great uh, blueprint for teaching on revival, preaching on revival, understanding how God works. And so uh, I love this story. Uh, But what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at a very interesting couple. They're they're mentioned, uh, it's, it's not... There's not a whole lot of information about them. It's kind of a quick cursory overview. I'm going to read to you here in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And so he's given their pedigree, their background, that they're both from the priestly They both come out of the priestly lineage. God had set the tribe of Levi aside and gave to them the priesthood. Now, the priesthood was a wonderful thing because everybody else got an earthly inheritance, but the Levites, the Lord said to them, I am your inheritance. And so they were both of that lineage, both husband and wife. And it says, verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. So it wasn't just some inheritance thing. It wasn't just some genetic thing that they didn't walk out. They were walking this thing out, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I love that. They were blameless. They weren't just righteous. This was a good couple of people. But then it adds this. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And with those three verses, we have introduced to us a couple upon whom history is about ready to turn, and they didn't even know it. This was a couple that obviously they'd received benefits from their walk with the Lord. They, were, they walked blameless. You can't walk with the Lord without good things happening in your life. But the one thing that they wanted hadn't happened. This was a couple who wanted children, at least a child. But in the one area of their greatest desire, there was barrenness. In that one area of their life, the one thing that they had been contending for was never realized. And then to add insult to injury, now it's no longer just a thing that was a problem, some some problem that Elizabeth had. Now she's entered into that time of life. She's not able to have children anymore. They were well along in years. And so we see this couple that were a picture for us of a dynamic that many of us wrestle with, uh, a situation that many of us struggle with, and they're a good example for the rest of us. And that is, what do we do with delay? They thought it was denial. What do we do when we think we're being denied by heaven? Because often what can happen is we get offended and discouraged. We question ourselves. Maybe I'm not righteous. Maybe I'm not good enough. Scripture is very clear. This was a couple who was righteous. They were blameless. It wasn't a problem with their walk with God. It wasn't that they had displeased the Lord, so God was withholding something from them. In fact, I would make the argument that it was precisely because they had pleased the Lord that God had put a, a, a divinely imposed delay on their desire. Because there was something that God was going to use this delay 
to achieve. Divine delay is a strategy of heaven to produce greater breakthrough in the future. But if we don't understand it, we can get disillusioned, we can question ourselves, and even more dangerously, we can question God. We can get offended and feel like, well, I guess God, God's not faithful to his promises. But in reality, there is a strategy in heaven that God often utilizes, and most of us will experience this strategy in our personal life at some point in our life, in our walk with God. And that is God-imposed delay. Sometimes it is God-imposed denial. But it's not denial in the way you and I think of denial. We think of denial as a big no. But sometimes God says, no, it's not for you. It's for the future generation. But the prayers you are praying to get your yes are being accumulated by God to release on a future generation. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, Lord, I ask this morning, God, that you would speak to us. And Lord, I'm asking that you would give us a revelation, a deep understanding of your ways. Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand and even cooperate with and even celebrate this strategy of divine delay and divine denial. Because, Lord, behind that, we know you are good. And you are working all things, even the delays and even the denials, for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I was was looking for a prophetic word. I've got several files on my laptop that I keep the words the Lord has given me personally. I keep the ones that God has given our church. And I was looking for one that Bob Hazlett had released to my dad. Because one time my dad and I were back in the green room and Bob was here. I think it was in like 2011. If Christopher was sitting in here, he'd tell me right the date, the time, what the weather was like and the shirt I was wearing. But... Bob looked at my dad, and he, well, he looked, at, he looked at my son, Tyler, and he said something about my son, Tyler, said something to me, and then he began to prophesy over my dad. And this is what he said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three generations. And he said, there was a time where you prayed, you, you cried tears for the prodigals. He said, but God can now give you the ability to look and see the fruit of your prayers, and it's better than it was before. And then he said this. It was interesting. He said, he said you're going to see your... He said, grandfathers have more faith in their heart than a dad does. They, they think a grandchild can do anything. And he said, you're going to see your grandchildren released. Well, we're, we're a few years into this now, and he's beginning to see that. But he said this, it was interesting. He said, some of the tears you cried have not been released yet. They've been saved to be released in the future. I thought, what an interesting thing. It just, it kind of gripped my heart. And I've been meditating on this, on that this last week. I want to read you a verse. Look look with me at uh, Psalm 56. Psalm 56, verse 8. He says, you have, you have kept count of my tossings. This is the ESV. You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. Let me read it to you in the NIV. Record my misery. <laughs> this is David. Now it says that this is, and this is part of the text, this is David when the the Philistines had fallen upon him in Gath and David begins to cry out to God and saying, God, they're they're watching my every step. They're they're waiting for me to fall. They're, you know, kill my enemies. It's one of those, uh, those psalms where he's asking for vengeance. And in the middle of it, he says this, record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. The ESV translates it, save my tears, you have put my tears in your bottle. 
And it's, it, it can be translated, uh, scholars are un- unclear at which it is, it's because it's a, it's a skin that they would make in, you know, they'd pour their, their beverage in that skin, but it was also what they would make their scrolls out of, a sheepskin. Either way, it's saying that you're recording them, you're keeping track of them. You're bottling them up or you're writing them down so you can keep track of the tears that I cry, the, the prayers that I pray. And he says, are they not in your record? And then he says this, then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. I want you to catch that. Verse 8, record my misery, list my tears on your scroll, keep track of the misery that I'm going through, Lord. Keep track of the prayers I've prayed over these situations and I've cried out and asked for breakthrough. Lord, keep track of these things. He says, are they not in your record? And then he says, then my enemies will turn back. He's tying the enemy's retreat to God's bottling up his tears. Isn't that fascinating? He's saying that God's going to unleash the bottle of my tears on a situation. And in that hour, the enemy will have to retreat. Because there's been an accumulation that's happened that God has withheld for a specific time. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is that some of you have been praying prayers and you're disillusioned and you've been enticed with the the thought that God has not been faithful, that God has not come through, that you've been pounding on a door and nothing's moved and what you don't realize is behind the door that you're pounding on is a mounting wave that's building and you may not even be the one that cracks the hinges and opens that door, but there's going to be a generation that does, and they're going to reap the benefit of your prayers. Your intercession, your tears, your crying out to God always matters, and God always keeps track of it. It says in this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, that one day Zechariah is chosen. It was a great honor. It usually would only happen once in the life of a priest. They would serve a week at a time, and, and the lot fell to him. So he was the one that went in and burned incense. And when he went into the temple, all the others would worship outside. And he would go in with fear and trembling. And when he got in, there was an angel on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah is terrified. And the angel says, fear not, Zechariah, your Prayers have been heard. Now, there's two possibilities. I'll tell you the one I lean towards. There's two possibilities here that Zachariah is still praying, even though his wife is having hot flashes for a number of years already. Okay, she's, she's been in menopause for a number of years. This, it's over, but he's still praying for a breakthrough and for a child. I lean towards the other alternative that the angel, he's he's no longer praying these prayers. He's given up on this dream of having a child, but he and his wife had spent decades praying for a baby. And now when when, when that, that is dead, that dream is dead, the angel reaches back in his history and says, your prayers way back then have been heard. And he's telling him, listen, I'm about ready to release the bottled tears in the present time. The the prayers of yesteryear. Madeline, I'm telling you, for your son, there are tears that God's going to release on him. He is not, none of that has been in vain. All that, and and often it's not even, it's not even the physical tears. You find yourself, your, your heart is just yearning for that. It's like your, your, your heart is extended towards those dreams, those desires, those aches. I'm telling you, God records all of that. And he is, he is bottling that up because there's power in that that he will release in the hour of his visitation. And we need to understand that. Because if we don't understand this principle of divine delay, we don't understand that God is withholding something to build something greater. And that if he gave it to us initially when we prayed it, then there's there's not the building of something that he's going to release in a further hour. And so those things matter to God. He has recorded every tear. David cries out, record my misery. I love that. 
Solomon, his son, would go on to write in Psalm 132, O Lord, remember David and the sufferings he endured. David cried out, record my misery. Solomon, after David's dead, he says, God, remember what my daddy told me. He made a vow to you and you made a vow to him. Make good for it. And he leverages what David went through. This is such a fascinating thing. He leverages the suffering of a dead guy in prayer. He's not just being poetic. Solomon understood, I can move God's heart with what David went through decades before, years before Solomon was even born. But Proverbs says that Solomon would sit at David's knee and, and David would tell him about the vows he made, about his history in God. And if you look at Psalm 132, it's the backstory on how David became a man after God's own heart. It gives you the backstory to tell you who David really is. And Solomon, sitting at David's feet, understood the prayer of David in this passage and re-energizes that prayer in petitioning God. And he said, God, I want to remind you of the suffering. My dad, who's dead, he's he's with you now, but I want to remind you of the suffering he endured on earth because I want you to release that suffering in this hour. It's an amazing thing. But if we don't understand the kindness of God and his intimate acquaintance with the pain of our heart and that when we stand in the midst of that pain and say, God, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why. Lord, we, you feel like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Lord, I've been righteous. Lord, I feel like to the best of my heart, I've, I've lived blamelessly. I've kept short accounts. I've repented. But Lord, why is this happening around me? I'm telling you, that pain is being recorded. And if in those times you stand... It's what Ephesians 6 is talking about. It's what Hebrews 12 is talking about when it talks about the enemy leveraging suffering to get us to give in, to get off the ground. The writer of Hebrews says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He said, some were tortured, but they refused deliverance. What is torture? Torture is when someone uses pain to manipulate your behavior. They're going to introduce pain into your life to get your will to break and you to do what they want. And the enemy uses suffering to try to break you. But if in those times we will stand and we'll say, God, I don't understand this, but I know this, you're good. Lord, I worship you. Those are the times where your worship is the most precious. We see it in the psalm where David says, God, you inhabit the praise of your people. You're enthroned in the worship of your people, literally is what he's saying. That my worship becomes a throne that you sit down on, and from there you begin to extend your scepter, and you rule and reign from the place of my praise. The, very, the, the verse that's just preceding that is that famous verse that Jesus cries out from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God is enthroned in the praise of his people when they feel the most forsaken. That's when that throne is most strongly established in your life. And God takes those things and he writes them down. And there's something being accumulated in heaven that God will release in the future. God bottles our tears and he releases them in the future. So we have this Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the angel comes and says, I want to, re-. he said, your prayers have been heard. Your wife shall be found with child. And Zechariah, being the man of faith, he said, how do I know this is going to happen? It's an angel talking to him. He's having a face-to-face encounter with an angel. But he's really struggling with this one. He says, how do I know this will happen? And the angel essentially says, me being here should be enough, pal. He said, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent here. I'm I'm Gabriel. I was sent here and I was was here to release the word of the Lord to you. And because you didn't believe me, you're going to be silent. You aren't going to be able to talk until this baby's born. (laughs) He goes home and it says his wife conceives and she hides herself for six months. She's freaking out. 
She knows this is past the time she's supposed to have a baby. And now she's with child. But this divine delay, why, if God wanted to produce a John, and listen to what the angel says to him, or to Zechariah, he says, your child shall be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. What an amazing thing. A child filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. I asked the Lord one time, I was reading that on a Monday morning, just had my day off. I was just kind of reading through and just, just kind of randomly picked a passage. I was reading, I, I came across that and I just said to the Lord, I said, God, if you can do that, if you can fill our baby from the womb, why don't you do that with the whole generation? We'll wrap this thing up by Thursday. You know, we just go to heaven. Man, if we had a whole generation of John the Baptists, why don't you do that with every baby? It was just kind of a thought. I just kind of set out to the Lord. I didn't expect an answer. But the Lord told me, he said, the reason I was able to do that is because the prayers they invested all those years and not having a child was being accumulated in the spirit that I could release it on John. So here's the principle. Their delay was his advancement. Because they came in late, he got in early. It's an amazing thing that this little baby in the womb, it's, you know, I don't know if it's speaking in tongues or not, but you know, <laughs> goo goo gaga, but it meant something different for him, you know. It's an amazing thing. Their delay was his advancement. And it just may be that the delay that is being imposed on your life is God accumulating something that he wants to release a greater breakthrough in the future. And that your delay is somebody else's advancement. John was baptized, in, or he's filled with the Spirit, from his mother's womb. He started way ahead of his peers. That's why he was able to accomplish so much. Now, when the Lord told me that, I thought, that is a fascinating principle. And I, I thought, I, I believe that. But just so the Lord could confirm this to me, the next day I headed over to speak at a ministry school in Nebraska. And uh, drove over there. And I w uh, after the teaching that night, I began to just minister prophetically over people, pray over them, prophesy over them. And this young man stepped up, and I laid hands on him, and all of a sudden I felt that passage. And I said, oh, man. I said, there was, you're like John the Baptist. There's, there's an investment in your life of the prayers of your parents. And I explained to them the principle, and he looked shocked. His eyes got real big. He said, you're kidding. He said, my mom and dad couldn't get pregnant. They tried and tried and tried and just couldn't have kids. And they kept crying out to God, and finally they had me in their elderly years. And I believe that was just the Lord giving me a little kiss. He wanted to bring home the truth of this principle. And it's one of God's, what, what, a, a very, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to say a primary strategy, but I'm telling you, God utilizes this a lot. Anybody ever felt like you were in divine delay? Yeah, uh, look around you. <laughs> I think it's one of God's primary strategies. But if we don't understand it, we can get dejected, feel rejected, get disillusioned, and even offended with God. And we abort what he's trying to do. John was conceived in prayer long before he was conceived in his mom and dad's bedroom. There was something being invested in his life. And because they had a delay, he moved in early. But here's the thing. It wasn't just John. I believe Mary also broken early because of Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers. God never works in a vacuum. We, we're aware of what God's doing in our life and maybe the life of those we're in direct relationship with. But God always has a wider plan, and he's weaving events, and there are Simeons and Annas. Anna had been praying for, depending on how you read the text, it could have been as much as 85 years. That's a lot of praying. 
She was a widow that lived in the temple. She just, day and night, she interceded. She was a prophetess, and she spent her time in worship and in intercession. Don't try to tell me that that didn't create an opening for Jesus to come into human history. Scripture is very clear that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What created that fullness? What, what, what brought things to fruition so that everything was ripe so that Jesus could enter human history and everything was in place? It was the prayers of a Simeon who prophesied over Jesus. And, and the Lord had promised him and said, you will not die until you hold the, I forget the terminology, but it's like the, the, the promise of Israel, the rejoicing of Israel. And so one day, he's, he's an old guy now. He's thinking, man, this better happen soon. And the Lord stirs him. He goes into the temple area, and he sees this young couple with a little newborn. And he walks over under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever seen that picture where he's, he's crying out, and he's holding the baby, and the glory's on him? It's an awesome painting. And he said, essentially, Lord, he, he called the Lord, my, something to the effect of, my, in, the, in the Greek, my benevolent despot, <laughs> the, thou benevolent dictator, I'm ready to die. Everything that I've lived for has now happened. I've held the glory of Israel. I'm ready to go. And with that, he blessed that child. Anna. Same thing. She's, she's been praying for decades. We, it, you know, it was either she was 85 and was a widow, then she was widowed young and she's been spending the decades, or she was widowed and then spent 85 years. She was really old. So it, whichever way, she spent a long time in prayer. They, all of this was orchestrating events so that Jesus could be brought in. But Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers also mattered in regards to Mary. Because I want you to catch this. It, it's a fascinating thing. If you begin to juxtaposition these, these different events and these different players in this big narrative here, you've got Elizabeth, who is an elderly woman. She's past the years where she should be able to have children. She's, she's, she's not going to be able to have kids outside of divine intervention here. This is a woman who has known the Lord and known intimacy with her son for decades and cried out and came up empty. But then you have Mary, who isn't supposed to be able to have children yet because she hasn't even known a man. She's just this young virgin girl. And so whereas Elizabeth came in late, her delay affected Mary's advance. Not only John stepped in early, so did Mary. Now here's the danger. That the Mary generation looks back at the Elizabeth generation and says they just don't understand how easy this really is. They just didn't have the faith that we had. If they had our kind of faith and they understood, all you got to do is step out in faith and lay hands on the sick and, they, and you're going to see healing and and. We can arrogantly look at the last generation and think if they knew what we knew, they would have had the breakthrough we have. When in reality, if we didn't have them, we wouldn't be walking in the breakthrough that we have. Because there's always a generation that has accumulated something in delay so the next one can come in early. God refers to himself in this way. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You ever wondered why God refers to himself that way? It's really an interesting way for God to introduce himself. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It, among other things, what he's communicating to us is I am the God who's always working generationally. Yeah. We want him to work hourly, weekly, or at least monthly. He, I'm working generationally. We're praying for a breakthrough, not realizing that our prayers are being accumulated to be visited on the next generation. And every one of us, in a very real sense, is an Isaac. We're the beneficiaries of the labors of the last generation, and we're the benefactors for the next one. We're going to bestow upon them our labors. And we need to learn to live in both. 
We need to learn, live, learn and live in great gratitude for the labors of our forefathers, what they did for us, how they lived, what they accumulated for us. And then we need to live very sacrificially and let the next generation run with it. And we need to pour into them. Every one of us are an Elizabeth. Okay, guys, hang with me. I know this is a little awkward. But every, okay, Zachariah, let's do that. Guys, every one of us is an Zachariah and every one of us is a Joseph. Ladies, every one of you is both an Elizabeth and a Mary. And we need to learn the posture of both. We need to live as both. We need to honor the previous generation. And we need to pour into the next generation. About a year and a half ago, two years ago now, we adopted a new mission statement for Heartland. And it begins like this. You go on the website and it says, we are a multi-generational family. We're a family. God operates through family. The kingdom is a kingdom family. You know, a kingdom is an aristocracy. You know what aristocracy is? An aristocracy is government through family. You look in aristocracies, uh, you go into you know, like the British aristocracy, they have dukes and earls and I don't know what all that stuff is, but they're, you know, it means that they've been bestowed lands and titles and authority because the king extends, the way he manages his holdings, the way he manages his kingdom is he gives authority to his family members. And the way to become royalty, there's two ways. You're either born in or you marry in. You and I did both. We were born again and we married in. <laughs> and because of that, we're part of the ruling class in the kingdom. But if we don't understand that, then we're not comfortable with our role. If we don't understand that, then we can... Kathy... Uh, Watch the show, Downton Abbey. I admit, I know what it is. I watch some, okay. okay. I, I know more about it than I'd like to admit, gentlemen. <laughs> we were watching the, uh, the Manners of Downton Abbey. It was a, a documentary on the, the era of Downton Abbey. And, and they were talking about the turn of the century when this, this show was set. And it was the old British money, the monarchy was... They were losing money. They, they weren't able to keep their estates alive, so they were marrying into new American money. And so these young, wealthy women from America were marrying these aristocratic men in Britain so they could keep things afloat. And it was, it was an interesting thing. And so the show is set. There's a young, there's a death in the family, and so there's only daughters, and the daughters can inherit. That's not how the kingdom is, but that's the way the British kingdom is, okay? It's not the kingdom of God. So they have to find a male heir. And they find this guy. He's a distant cousin. And he's, he's just a barrister. And uh, it's, not as, it's not as highfalutin as it is for us. So they find him. And they say, hey, you're the heir to this, this title, the Duke of something. Earl of Grantham. That's what it was. He's the Earl. I don't know. Is a Duke and an Earl the same? I don't know. But anyways, he, it's a position. And he's like, he, so he moves on the estate. And they give him this guy that dresses him every morning. He stands there and they put his little collar on. And they put it, you know, he's like, oh, put a little cummerbund. And he's kind of you know, combing his hair. And he's, finally he says to the, the guy that's running the place, he says, hey, he said, can I fire my valet? He said, why? Isn't he doing a good job? Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. I mean, he buttons a shirt really good, you know. He, he does, I just don't need it. I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't need him to serve me. It's, it just doesn't fit who I am. And Earl of Grantham says to him, and when he said it, the Lord spoke to me. He said, maybe you need to look at it another way. Maybe you need to understand that your position exists to provide for them. This man has studied his whole life, prepared himself for an honorable vocation, and because you're not comfortable with it, you're going to rob him of his livelihood, and he's going to have to find new employment. Maybe you just need to get used to it. And the Lord began to speak to me about the arist aristocratic nature of the kingdom, that we've got to become comfortable that God operates by a kingdom family. 
and he rules through us. And he's, he operates through the multiple generations of a family. He's always working from that perspective. We look in this little narrow lens and we think, okay, God, I'm praying for this and I want a breakthrough. And because I haven't seen the breakthrough that I wanted, then we get disillusioned, dejected, and we feel like God's not answering our prayer. When what we need to understand, if we have faith that God is good and God's always working for our good, then there's an accumulation according to Psalm 56. He is recording your misery. That's kind of a blunt way of saying it. I like the ESV is a little more poetic. He's bottling your tears. And we look at our, our little snapshot and say, God, you're, you're not answering what I'm crying out for. But if you're crying out and you're keeping your heart right, I'm telling you, there's something accumulating in the spirit that is going to be released at a given time. Let's look to Hebrews chapter 11. Ever since Linda Schreer and Bob Phillips passed, I have returned again and again and again to Hebrews 11. I can't get out of it. Look at, look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. So he's, this is the hall of faith. He's talking about all these heroes that accomplished great things through faith. But he's going to give us an insight into this divine strategy of God-imposed delay and what God is doing behind the scenes. Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Woo, man, that's, that's Holy Ghost stuff. That's the kind of, well, that's hanky-waving, man. We, that's the kind of stuff we want right there. Gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions. Quen- okay, little rabbit trail here. When, Kathy and I met down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at a big church, pastored by Jimmy Swagger. And uh, we'd have some Holy Ghost meetings. And there was this one guy, you could feel it. It'd start building in the room, and all of a sudden, something would, and there was this one tall, skinny guy. I can't do it, or I'd hurt my back. But he would start running. He'd do this, and his, his knees would hit his chest, and he'd, he'd run around the and then it'd just get wild. But, so that's hanky-waving, okay? <laughs> For those of you who don't know where I'm coming from on that. Okay. Verse 34, quench the fury of the flames and escape the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And then we stop mid-verse. That's, that's the hallelujah course right there. And then he introduces this other principle that we're talking about today. There were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Isn't that interesting? How can you get a better resurrection? I mean, I think resurrection's pretty good. A better? How can you improve? New and improved resurrection. How do you improve a resurrection? (laughs) He tells us, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. There was this company of people. He's not referring to those who saw all this breakthrough, all this delivered, all the stuff we make videos and write books about. He's talking about those who refused deliverance. They said, no thanks, because they had a revelation of the very principle we're talking about this morning. It implies that they could have entered into the answer to their own prayer. But they had a revelation and said, thanks, Lord, but no thanks, because I want something greater. He goes on, he says, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and living in caves and holes in the ground. Verse 39 and 40, here it is. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. It's very important you and I understand this. It was a a God-inspired promise. 
This was not somebody believing something that God didn't say. I don't know about you, but theologically, as recently as probably two, three years ago, if I, had, if I met someone that said, God told me this, and it did not come to pass, then I said, you missed it. It wasn't God. And they may have. A lot of times, we're not going to know. And that's part of the, the burden of being denied and being delayed is you've got to carry that thing before men and you're going to be misunderstood. And you've got to be careful you don't buy into that, that own disillusionment. But it's very clear that there are times where God will give a promise and people will die without seeing the fulfillment of the promise that they were given. And it says they were commended for their faith. So it was real faith. Real faith on their part and a real promise on God's part and yet they didn't see the breakthrough. Why? He tells us here. It's this principle. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. He's saying, we're looking back at those who labored in advance. And they received a promise from God. And they walked in faith until the very end. But God told them, no. No. A few verses later, or earlier, he said some refused it, others were denied it, but they both, both of these types of people died not seeing the breakthrough, but it was real faith, and God was working because in our minds, we have this false finish line called death. And we think if the breakthrough doesn't happen before I get to hold it and I give my last breath like Simeon got to, then we think, well, I guess either God wasn't faithful or I missed it. And I'm telling you, this passage gives us another possibility. That there's a greater resurrection that God withheld the answer because he's going to visit it on another generation and that only together with us do they break into something greater. And it's accredited to their account. This morning, some of you are going through a really hard time. Some of you, it's been for a really long time. And some of you, Feel like Elizabeth, you've given up. Well, that's past. I must have missed it. I don't know if you missed it or not, but I do know this. If you kept your heart right in the midst of that disappointment and you took your stand and you kept crying out, God is accumulating that misery. He's accumulating those tears and he has them bottled up. And according to Psalm 56, there comes a day God releases some tears out of the bottle. And on that day, the enemy has to retreat. He has to back off. He runs because he understands the weight and the power of those tears much better than most of us as believers do. Your labors have not gone unnoticed by heaven. You keeping your heart right in the midst of hardship, refusing to give in, refusing to accuse God and saying, God, I don't understand this, but I know you're good. And the battle of that, the decades that Zachariah and Elizabeth prayed and prayed and prayed, and in their culture, it was, it was, there was a big deal for a woman not to have a child. Much, much bigger deal than it is in our culture today. And I don't want to diminish. If you're one of those ladies, I don't, I don't mean to diminish your pain. I'm just saying culturally there was a stigma as well, not just the emotional, personal pain. And they cried out and they cried out and they cried out. And unbeknownst to her, she's pounding on the door and feeling like nothing's moving, nothing's happening because she couldn't see on the other side of the door what was building and it resulted in a John the baptizer who was filled with the Spirit from birth. And he would literally prepare the way for her Lord. Her labors prepared the way for the way preparer. And it prepared the way for Mary because of what she went through. And they kept their heart right. They stayed blameless. I want to encourage you this morning. God sometimes puts a delay on your breakthrough. And he'll wait so long that there is no, there is no way that it's going to happen by natural means. And sometimes God will even deny you 
the promise that he spoke to you himself. But it's not because he's unfaithful. There's a greater breakthrough for you because only together with the future generation is the breakthrough going to happen. And it's those people who keep their heart right in those situations. It's, it, it's a beautiful phrase. It says, of them, the world is not worthy. There's a high esteem that heaven holds for those people. And a lot of times people won't understand. They'll think, ah, they missed it. They're kind of different, you know. They think they heard. Keep your heart right. Keep pounding on the door. Because whether you see it or not, something's building behind the door. And whether you get to open that door or not, somebody's going to unlock that door. And those tears and the power and the investment and all that's been accumulated are going to be released. When God delays his promise, it's because he has something better. He's building. And the investment of Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers cleared something. And I don't understand how that happens. I'm just telling you what the Lord showed me. And then he confirmed through me laying hands on a young guy out in Nebraska. But something was cleared that made it possible for this kid to be filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. It's an amazing thing. But it was the prayers. It was the crying out. And if he'd have been born of natural means in a natural time, that would have never happened. It was necessary for a John the Baptist move. There had to be a delay in the accumulation of tears and the recording of their miseries and them keeping their heart right. And at the, at the right time, God unleashed it. And there was tremendous breakthrough. And you and I are living in the good of that thing even now. Amen? Amen? Let's go ahead and stand. Let me look through my notes here, make sure I covered everything I wanted to. I don't, I, I need to go to the Lord about it, but the Lord began to talk to me yesterday about futures trading in the spirit. You know, there's, there's futures trading. There's, people will buy things you know, like buy grain or petroleum or something. They'll, they'll buy it, they'll settle on a price now, and they're gambling that the price is going to raise later. So they'll buy low now when it's w w worth more then, and then they can turn around and make a lot of money. It's called futures trading. And the enemy is always trying to get you to trade on your future. He's trying to get you, it's like, Esau, eating the poor, you know, the, the, the red stew. Oh, I'm, I'm famished. What good is an inheritance going to do? Never realizing. You know, God would have been known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But he gave it away in a moment to satisfy his hunger and traded his future. But there is future trading in the kingdom where we literally give up pleasure. We give up breakthrough because we know there's going to be a greater payoff in the future. But it takes faith in the goodness of God and in, in God's principles that you can literally accumulate things in the future. And some of you are so much more wealthy than you realize. Because you're looking around and you're looking for the immediate breakthrough, the fruit of your immediate life. And there's fruit in every one of you that have been walking with God. But I'm telling you, there are bottles of tears. Some of you are tear machines for heaven. <laughs> and God's been accumulating it because he's going to release it in the future. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your wisdom. And I thank you for your goodness. Lord, you're so good to us. And Lord, as the pastor of this church and as a representative of this body, Lord, I ask you personally for myself and corporately for us as a body. Lord, we're sorry. Please forgive us for siding with the accuser against you. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for 
walking by sight and not by faith, for demanding proof, for being like Zechariah and living in unbelief because we don't see the fruition. Lord, help us to enter into this principle. And Lord, if we can't, do what you did to Zechariah. Shut our mouth. Let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. I just feel like the Lord really wants to minister to some of you this morning. And, and this is the sense that I have. It's like Elizabeth and Zachariah, the one thing they longed for was the one thing that eluded them. And some of you, that it describes you to a T. The greatest desire of your heart is the one thing that eludes you, and yet you've been praying. And the Lord wants you to keep the faith this morning. Realize that not one tear, not one cry has gone unrecorded. And they matter to heaven. And you need to understand they matter to hell. Because when God begins to release those things, the enemy has to flee. Mm. I don't know if you feel that, but my goodness. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you don't get to taste the fruit of your intercession, if that one desire that you've longed for isn't fulfilled, it's only because there's a greater breakthrough in the future that you'll get to eat the fruit of on the other side of the grave. Don't buy into this false finish line that if I don't see it in life, it wasn't a reality. We already live in the powers of the age to come. We've already entered into eternal life. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's already looking three generations down the road in your life. And you're laboring for them. That's why Hebrews 12 says, So therefore, run the race. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Run, because there are those who were before us handed us the baton, and there's those in front of us waiting for us to hand it to them. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.